Today's scripture is from John 1, 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from the Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I have to start out with a confession. That for most of my life, when I have read the Bible, I have completely ignored the geography. Like, I knew there were maps in the back there, but I never really looked at them. Uh, But my trip to Israel this year opened my eyes to the geography of the Bible in a different way. Um, What I can say is that when we read the Bible, we, we read it through the lens of history or the lens of theology. But being in the land, I can almost totally assure you When Jesus read his Bible, he read it geographically. I mean, how could he not read about Elijah and the face-off with the prophets of Mount Carmel when he could see Mount Carmel in the distance? When he lived right next to where Gideon fought off uh, his enemies, uh, right right across the valley from the place where Josiah had been killed. I mean, Jesus, all the time when he walked through Jerusalem, walked in the footsteps of David and of Solomon. I mean, he would have had to have think geographically about his Bible. Think about, in our own world, how geographically oriented we are. And we're probably less so than many other societies. But think about the metaphors we use, uh, like going through a valley, a mountaintop experience feeling like we're lost in the woods, dry as a desert, life is a highway, I'm going to ride it on, what is it, all night long. Um, See, we we use geography in our own language. And, And think about how places have meanings beyond the actual geographic location. Uh, If I said Newcastle and I was in England, they wouldn't think of you all at all, Right? Um, and if I said Newcastle to somebody who did, wasn't from here, they would have certain meanings. But if I said Newcastle to somebody who lived here, then it has all kinds of connotations. Think about the Alamo or Gettysburg or the Vietnam Memorial or the location of the World Trade Center. Places can have meaning beyond their physical location. Okay? They can have feelings and emotions and stories. And what often happens is uh, in the Bible, uh, the authors utilize these things to tell about the story, to add elements to the story. As author John Beck puts it, stories far apart in the Bible are sometimes right next to each other in the land. Okay, So sometimes what the biblical authors are trying to do is use place names to remind us of previous stories. And then... Something is missed when you don't pay attention to those. So that the geography is not just the backdrop, it's not just the setting, sometimes it's actually essential to the story. And as I've been thinking about the Christmas story leading here into Advent, 
It has changed my perspective on reading that story, and I've been paying attention to the actual places. And so this year for Advent, we're going to go on a little Christmas road trip, okay? And so I want to take you to Nazareth, to Jerusalem, to Egypt, and then back to Bethlehem. Now, chronologically, those aren't in the right order, but I really wanted to do Bethlehem last, so you're stuck with it. But I want to try to look at this story through the places that they happen. And when we do, I think you're going to find that there's something added to what the story uh, is all about. And uh, to do that, we're going to be using a lot more pictures than we normally do. So I hope you are awake and are paying attention. Okay. First, let me try to give you an understanding of where Israel is and why it's so important. Okay. This map on the left is, uh, was made by a guy named Heinrich Bunting, who lived from 1545 to 1606, okay? And if you notice, we've got Asia, Europe, and Africa, and what's in the center? Jerusalem. Sounds a little arrogant, right? Little Israel, little Jerusalem to be in the center. But look at the map on the right, okay? If you look in the upper left, what do you have? You have Turkey and then Europe. If you go to the east, to the right you have Asia. If you go to the, the left, to the bottom, that's Africa. And what is the one land bridge? You, you don't go through the, the, the desert here. You go through that fertile land that is Israel. Israel is a land bridge between the three continents. Okay? Every major army, almost every major army that has taken over this part of the world came through Israel because that's how you came through. Okay? It is strategically located to be important. It's part of what's called the Fertile Crescent. You can't see this as well. Um, but from over in uh, uh, where, what would be the Babylonian and the Assyrian Empire, the Tigris and the Euphrates, it's nice and green and fertile land all the way around through Egypt, through Israel and down into Egypt. And many of the great powers of the world have come from and through this very area, okay? From, if you wanted to do trade between the Silk Road in Asia and Africa, it had to go through Israel, okay? Israel is a hugely important place, but it's also very teeny. To help you understand, I tried to make these, I found these on the internet, so uh, of course everything you find on the internet is true, but generally, this is about right. I tried to, tried to make them roughly the same size. There's Israel compared to New Jersey, and there's Israel that fits entirely in Lake Michigan. Okay? Uh, so if you think Western PA, Jesus lived his entire life between Erie and Washington. Okay? He didn't go much further than that. And the bottom of Israel is the Negev. It's the desert. And so most of the stories happen up north in the, in the top two-thirds of the country, okay? But it's teeny, okay? It's teeny. In Jesus' day, it would have been divided into several areas. You'll hear about Judea in the south, where Jerusalem is, the Galilee in the north, and Samaria sort of in the middle. And Samaria, Samaritan, the, the Samaritans didn't really like the, the Israelites, and the Israelites didn't really like the Samaritans. And so uh, this is where a lot of the challenge comes from. Because of the way the country's set up, you see the red lines? Those are major, major trade routes, okay? So right there up above Samaria, 
near Mount Carmel, the land divides, or the road divides. If you go to the east, that's how you can start heading to Asia. If you go uh, up to the north, you'll go around the Mediterranean Sea and you can trade with Europe. Everybody see how critical Israel's location is. Okay, This way is often called the Via Maris because it follows uh, along the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, Up in the northern part, right where uh, those roads divide, is a little valley. Do you see how the green sort of stretches out into the deserts, into the mountains? That's called the Jezreel Valley. This is a very, very important, very fertile land, but to the south and uh, west of it are the Mount Carmel Mountains. So it's a very natural sort of stopping point and uh, focal point. And uh, that Jezreel Valley, let me zoom in, uh, very, very important. Lots of stories happen there. That's where Gideon was. That's where uh, Saul and his sons die. That's where Josiah dies. Um, this is also called the Valley of Armageddon because the city of Megiddo is there. Okay, It's about 145 square miles of just great farmland. And Nazareth is, very, is right off of it. Okay, So here's little Nazareth. You can see the valley to the south of it. You can see the roads marked with the dotted lines. And um, so, Je- so Nazareth is right there, uh, right here in the northern part of the Jezreel Valley. Uh, this is Nazareth today. Nazareth today is this huge, booming city, very diverse uh, in the northern part of Israel. But back in Jesus' day, this is maybe what it looked like. It's teeny it's tiny. When the great Jewish historian Josephus names 45 sites in the region right about the, side, uh, right about the time of Jesus, names the top 45 cities in Galilee, Nazareth isn't listed. Okay, When, the, when this land is divided in, by, uh, by Joshua, Nazareth is not listed. Um, it is very, very small. In fact, we have very little archaeology from it. We can't quite find a city center, okay? Probably because there's not really one. It's that small. We sing a little town of Bethlehem, but archaeologists think Nazareth at the time of Jesus was way smaller than Bethlehem. Maybe 200 to 400 people. 200 to 400 people. I got news for you. When it's 200 to 400 people, everybody knows everybody. <laughs> Okay, everybody knows everybody. Okay, um, and what's interesting about this, Nazareth is up in the hills. It could have been in the Jezreel Valley where there's all that great farmland. It could have been next to one of those major roads where it could make money on travelers. Okay, these are people that intentionally don't want to be where all the other people are. Okay, they want to be off by themselves. You can think about this as a good, conservative Jewish community. We know that they traveled probably all together down to Jerusalem because we know Jesus does it when he's 12, and he doesn't come back with the rest of the family. He sticks around. Uh, On the left there is this little place. uh, It's called Mary's Well. It wasn't called Mary's Well then, but it was the main water source for the whole town, was this little well, even back in Jesus' day. It's one of the places we know Jesus would have had to have gone in his life, was to that well, because it was the water source. Okay? Nazareth is teeny, teeny, tiny. 
Compare that to a city named Sephoris, which is about four miles away. Uh, it was right off of the main road, and it was a major Roman city. Um, just, in the, just recently, uh, this mosaic was discovered. It's being called the Mona Lisa of the Middle East, and uh, just beautiful mosaic. Uh, the interesting thing about it is it was built during the first part of the first century. And so the question is, might Jesus have actually worked on this? Okay, Jesus, we call him a carpenter, but the real word is tecton. Okay, if you look around here, there's not that many trees. You could never be a carpenter there. You had to be a general contractor. You had to work with stone. You had to work with mud. You had to do repair jobs. <coughs> and really, honestly, a town of 150, 200, maybe 400 people, there wasn't enough work to sustain a tecton. So Jesus would have had to have gone to these other towns to work. And so, very possible he did work in Sephoris and some of these other towns. And, and maybe, we'll never know, but maybe Jesus did work like this mosaic at Sephoris. But you understand, Sephoris made money because they were next to the road. Other towns made money because they were in the Jezreel Valley. Nazareth purposefully chose to live in the hills away from all of that. Okay, if you went to Nazareth, there wouldn't be a stoplight. Okay, there might be a gas station, but no attendant. You understand? There's no McDonald's, there's no Giant Eagle. So you had to go other places. Okay, you had to have gone to Sephoris. <coughs> you had to have gone to other towns because there just wasn't enough. When Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana, nearby town, you had to go get married in other towns because you were related to everybody in Nazareth. You understand? Okay, gene pool is too small. Okay, so even though it's this small, conservative, nothing town, Jesus would have been exposed to the play. He would have probably gone to the play at Sephoris, would have been exposed to other things in his travels to Jerusalem. But, but I also wonder, if he's from such a small town, no wonder he likes to stay in Bethany when he goes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem must have seemed so huge to Jesus. So what stands out about Nazareth? Nothing. Nothing. Of, of, of maybe a hundred other cities Jesus could have been born in that would have had some significance, Nazareth has zip, nada, nothing. So, when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a legit question. <laughs> okay? It's a legit question. Can anything good come out of little Nazareth. In fact, when Jesus starts his ministry, he goes to this town of Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee, right next to one of those roads. They had a, ta uh, a major toll road there, so they would collect taxes on people coming through. There was a t we know one of the tax collectors from that town, Matthew, because he was called and became one of the disciples. Um, so Capernaum, major fishing site, if you can't really tell, that's called St. Peter's Fish, which they still sell. They weren't called St. Peter's Fish back then. Uh, but it's a, it's a freshwater tilapia that you can get on the Sea of Galilee. That's me finishing one right there. Okay? Um, and the little town of Capernaum, they've actually found ruins of what they think might be Peter's house. Very small, eight-sided house um, that, that you can see this big chapel is built over. And this old synagogue, which is built on top of the synagogue, Jesus probably taught in. So think about this. When 
this girl from the village, the wife of the tecton, who everybody would have known, who almost everybody was related to, suddenly gets pregnant. Is that good news in Nazareth? No. This is the kind of little town that took seriously rules about stoning. Okay? That took seriously uh, the, the calls of the law about what you did and did not do before you were married. Okay? No wonder she ran away. No wonder she goes to see Elizabeth. No wonder uh, Joseph has a real dilemma on his hands in a little conservative town like this. And eventually when they get back to Nazareth, don't think in a little town. You know how rumors go in little towns, right? Don't think it ever left. Don't think the whispering ever stopped. Don't think that Joseph wasn't fixing somebody's roof and got a little unsolicited opinion about how he treated Mary or how that all went down. Okay, this was a little town where you didn't forget stuff like that. Okay, so understand the tension of this Christmas story based on the place. Okay, everybody knew. Everybody knew. Okay, um, scandalous for a little Galilean town of Nazareth to have a pregnant woman out of wedlock. Okay, scandalous. In fact, those rumors probably followed Jesus. Uh, we know that Jesus was actually rejected in Nazareth. Okay, he couldn't do miracles in the region. He eventually had to leave because who would have believed? Okay, think about it. 150, 200, maybe 400, but I think that the number is really 150 or 200. Okay? So a community not much bigger than our church. Everybody following that? Okay? The, and one of the boys that grows up is then the Messiah. <laughs> no, Messiah comes from Jerusalem. Messiah comes from somewhere important. Messiah doesn't come from here. And we know you. We knew your parents. We remember the rumors that you left. Okay? We remember all this. How you fixed our deck. You know what I mean? You fixed our roof. How could you be the Messiah? Now, Matthew does something interesting. As he does five times in the, uh, in the birth of Jesus stories, again, in the, according to the book of Matthew, he has this quote. He says, And he came to dwell in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, here's the problem. If you go to look that up in the prophets, it's not there. Okay? This is a quote of nothing. Okay? It never says. Now, there's a Nazarene vow in the Old Testament, but there is no place where we have anything that says, A, that the Messiah would take a Nazarene vow, or B, that Jesus ever did. Okay? So it can't be that. He's definitely referring to the city of Nazareth. But there's no quote. So scholars debate this. If you look it up in your Bible, it's going to probably take you back to Isaiah chapter 11. Here, let me read a couple verses of Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruits. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Isaiah is looking ahead to this Messiah. And the key word there is that word branch. The word branch is the word netzer, netzer. 
Uh, Matthew is probably connecting Netzer, or possibly connecting Netzer with the name Nazareth. Okay? In Hebrew, there are no vowels. Okay? In ancient Hebrew, there's no vowels. So all we care about is the consonants. And then the Natser is the same consonants as Nazareth. Now, the other candidate for what this prophecy might be, uh, some have argued, from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, it doesn't use that word Natser, but here's what it does say. For he grew up from him uh, like a plant and like a root out of dry ground. So the imagery, if not the word, the imagery is definitely similar. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not." Now, a lot of times we read this in Lent also because here's how it continues. Surely he has borne our griefs, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Okay, so there's this reference here to him being pierced, and we, we love that at, at, at Easter to look back and say Isaiah is hinting at the uh, crucifixion. But for our purposes, there's this whole idea of him not being esteemed, okay? Him not being important, him not coming from anywhere that's valuable, okay? That Jesus wasn't pretty, he wasn't important, he wasn't of any kind of status. There's no reason to esteem him. Now, that sounds like a place like Nazareth, doesn't it? Now, I think the key to understanding this, and and there's lots of debate on this, Okay, but the the one key I think here is the plural of prophets. Okay, did you notice that? Okay, whenever Matthew quotes a prophet, he says the prophet, except here, he says prophets. And I, I think what Matthew is doing is he is inspired by the Holy Spirit looking back at all these passages and saying, you know, wow, not only is he a branch, Nazar, Nazareth, But he's from this nothing town of Nazareth. He is of no importance. And so I think in saying prophets, Matthew's actually letting us know that he's taking these and he's sort of weaving them together. So why is Nazareth so important to the story? Well, it's important, number one, that as we start thinking about the Christmas story, we think of the plot in the context. Okay, That when Mary gets this word that she is pregnant, it is not good news. Okay, this is something you get stoned for in little backwater armpit kind of towns like Nazareth. Okay, it's not good news. And that it it seems strange to us that Jesus wasn't born like a king, wasn't born in Jerusalem. Where do the wise men go? They go to Jerusalem. Of course he's going to be born in Jerusalem, right? He's a king, except he's in like the opposite place of being born like a king. But for the gospel writers, particularly Matthew, and and by doing this kind of reference to Nazareth, reference to the prophets, I think it becomes important that Jesus is not just being born anywhere. He's being born into this story, 
into this prophecy. He is the Messiah. He is the coming one. And so the, the geography means more than just the place. Everybody seeing that? Okay. It's Matthew's way of saying he is the prophetic one. He is the Messiah. He's the one that had to come. He's the branch that comes from the branch town. Okay. He comes from the nothing town. Jesus is the Messiah. And we esteemed him not. But look at how God took this little boy coming from this nothing town and saved the world through him. This is God's action, intentional action to say this boy coming from Nazareth is way more than his little town. And there's a reason why now Nazareth is this bustling town and why there's a bunch of churches there and why we seem to know the name of this little dinky town. And it's not because of the little dinky town because of the one who came from there and what he eventually did. So let us consider Nazareth as we begin our, Christi our Christmas road trip. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.